I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Tuesday, September 13th, 2022, the 601st day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You will be supporting me and the work I do and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you just don't want to, all good. It's coming out for free a few days later on other platforms. So yesterday we talked about the contested election in Kenya last month. And I wanted to just say a few more words about why I focus on issues like that or like Burkina Faso or like Myanmar. And it's because our media here doesn't, but there's so much to learn from these other situations. A lot of people's eyes glaze over, they get bored, they lose interest when talking about geopolitical events because they don't feel the same connection to these events from other countries because these countries are foreign and they feel foreign and you don't have the background, the history of what has actually gone on there. You're not able to put it in a full and complete perspective where you can understand everything about it. Issues from America, the stuff that we deal with all the time, the stuff that the mainstream media covers, all of that feels closer and more relevant in our lives. On some level, I totally get it. That is completely true from that perspective. But the same can be said about a broad range of issues that many of us simply were not paying attention to last year or the year before or five years ago or whatever it is. Whenever you woke up, think about all those issues 
you didn't pay attention to before. And eventually you started learning as your worldview expanded and you reconnected with the empirical observable reality that we all operate among. That not only are these events interconnected in the way that they are part of that same reality and that same world, it's possible that events overseas in remote countries actually do affect events here. But beyond that, this interconnectedness operates on a different level. It's not just that the events from overseas connect directly to events here or affect our lives or will affect our lives like the butterfly effect. A butterfly flaps its wings across the globe and there's a hurricane here, that sort of thing. I'm not talking about that kind of causal chain of events where there is a direct impact with something across the world. We can learn from events around the world and use events around the world in our understanding of events here. And that's the interconnectedness I'm much more interested in. A stolen election in Myanmar by a candidate who is aligned with the Clintons, the Obamas, and George Soros using a similar election apparatus and then being deposed by a military junta and then imprisoned while organized and funded riots are taking place in the streets of Myanmar to cause chaos during that process is something we can learn from. That military coup, as the global propaganda media calls it, has not been thwarted or overthrown by the global communists. And there's something to learn from that. The same playbook was run in this small, remote Southeast Asian country was also run here, not in every single regard, not in every single aspect, but all of the important ones. The result so far has been different for different reasons. But the key takeaway is that the same people who are manipulating our elections here are doing so in Myanmar, and they're doing so in these other countries as well. The same voting systems, the same claims of election fraud about the same election fraud issues are happening around the world. The same playbook is being run and the reactions to that playbook are slightly different. They're varied in different places of the world. In some places, that playbook is very effective and they're able to take those countries over and turn them into communist nations like Venezuela. There is no excuse whatsoever for Venezuela to be a country on the brink of collapse where people are eating their pets in order not to starve to death, where hyperinflation makes everyone poor. If Venezuela was run by people who were legitimately elected by Venezuelans and not someone placed in office through election fraud, that leader would be putting the success of Venezuela first. And Venezuela would be an extraordinarily wealthy nation and a powerful nation and a successful nation. But instead, the government is taken over by the global communists. Their agenda is implemented. The country collapses and it's stripped of its resources. And those deals are made to keep people in power who will continue to serve the global communist agenda. And it happens over and over again. They want a one world government, the liberal world order. They want the participation of all countries around the world, but they need the participation of the countries with the most resources and with the biggest militaries. And it seems like they are not going to get any of that as they seem to be losing their grip on the countries they did have. And so we look at Myanmar, we look at Burkina Faso, where the militaries have deposed fraudulently elected leaders. We look at a place like Kenya that has similar election fraud claims. And what you can see is 
that there is a structure to all this. There is a plan on the other side. There is a playbook that they run over and over and over and over again. And they will continue to run that playbook until they have full control of a country. And once they have full control, the public perception can ebb and flow. It can go from one party to the other as long as it remains under their control and they will implement big chunks of their agenda. There will be a backlash. The backlash will wane and then they'll come back and implement bigger chunks of the agenda until they're completely done. We see that happening in the United States. We see the cycle of the protest and the riots, the racial division, the focus on issues like abortion that are there to intentionally divide the culture skews the public's perception of itself, of what the public actually believes about these issues so they can continue to implement the agenda. And the reason I focus on this stuff is because, at least for me, and I think probably for a lot of other people out there, once they come to terms with this sort of thing, is that this larger structure and this larger plan by the communists is a pretty massive red pill. The things that are happening in America are not happening in isolation. This isn't the only country where there is a massive slave trade run by cartels and in other places run by terrorist organizations working hand in hand with complicit governments and NGOs essentially serving as private militaries for the globalists. We're not the only country with stolen elections, and it's not just about Donald Trump. What does it mean when someone who doubts the legitimacy of our elections finally realizes that we are not doing all of this on behalf of Donald Trump or because Donald Trump says so, because Donald Trump lost? We're doing it because the elections are stolen up and down the ballot, and we can see it in full. The evidence is overwhelming. The problem is far deeper than most people ever understood. And when you expand that and understand that this very same thing happens worldwide, you can begin to understand the scope of what the other side is attempting to do. What's happening isn't random or isolated. It's part of a much bigger picture, a much bigger plan. And knowing that that plan exists as we do, means that the people who have been contesting the advance of global communism around the world for years or decades also know this plan, and they are also guiding their efforts to respond to this plan as it's implemented. And that requires different responses in different places, but the response is still coming. We have primary elections today in Delaware and New Hampshire and Rhode Island, and then the primary season is over. If there is a sting operation in place to catch election fraud, this today is potentially the end of it. And we'll see. I don't know that that's true, but I have speculated about that possibility for a few months now that maybe this is the point we're going to be getting the full public proof of election fraud. And I'm fairly convinced I'm right in that outlook, although it's possible I'm not. We might see that operation continue through the midterms. Maybe midterm elections are stolen in certain places and we have to redouble our efforts to prove election fraud in the wake of these midterms. And while that might freak everybody out and disappoint people, it's also something we're totally prepared to handle because all it will do is wake up so many more people to the problem of election fraud. People understand their communities. They understand what their friends and neighbors are dealing with. Unless you are totally detached from reality and extremely comfortable in your own situation and your friends and family are as well, then you've been touched in some way by the fallout of the last two and a half years. To the point where you are open to understanding that there is something very, very wrong going on, not just here, but around the world. But regardless of the timing, there is a major effort underway to rid this country 
of its election fraud problems. And Richard the Saint and I went pretty deep on that subject in the podcast we just did. If you haven't listened to it yet, it is very long, but I encourage you to listen to it. People have been overwhelmingly positive in their response to it. It's a lot of dense material, but when you get through it, I think you'll have a different outlook on what the response to election fraud actually is. The way to get things fully fixed is to have enough of the population awake and understanding what has happened and what needs to happen. And if it requires one more stolen national election to do that, it's going to suck for a few days and then we'll begin to move through it. And on the other side, they will be hell bent on creating chaos. It is still entirely possible that Donald Trump will be indicted for something. The communists may see all of this through to its logical end. They want to create chaos. They want civil war. These things help them because they make the problem so palpable and the situation so scary. Think about how things were in 2020 after George Floyd died from a fentanyl overdose while being restrained under a policeman's knee. That was a summer of violence and chaos cheered on by people who voted for Joe Biden. Political violence was just fine then because they thought it was justified. They thought rationalizing political violence in public was how to solve racism. If Trump gets indicted, the people who are still really crazy Biden supporters are going to cheer it on in public. They're going to cheer on the political persecution of a political opponent, even though they have absolutely zero evidence of any crime. Not that they care because they don't understand. And if people on our side respond and chaos erupts in the streets, they'll be able to prove their case. Look how dangerous these people are. That's what they think, at least. And they think that because they know that they're going to have the media coverage and the big tech censorship and propaganda and the corporations repeating their message. The Hollywood entertainment community is going to be all over it. Once these issues are brought to the doorsteps of these people. Once they're appropriately scared, they'll go along with anything because the worst thing for them is chaos. They need order all the time because order is what's demanded of them. Obedience is what's demanded of them. The society is supposed to be a certain way, and it would be that way if it weren't for all these other people. And so I want to shift back to Kenya for a second. Kenya is only five presidents removed from securing their quote-unquote independence from the British crown. Now, when a colonizing global force has control over a country and that control goes away, it doesn't mean that the colonizing global force is also just gone. It means that their influence isn't at the forefront. All of the corrupt people within a society who had worked for the benefit of the colonizing global entity, whether it is the British crown or whether it's the liberal world order as backed by the United States evil twin faction, unless all of that is completely cleaned out and removed, unless the swamp is completely drained, then some level of that power remains. And that's especially true when you think about how many people with R's next to their name, how many Republicans have actually been working for the benefit of that liberal world order, that global order. So the British crown goes away in Kenya and then Kenya has election after election where there are claims of election fraud, legitimate or not. But there's chaos. And in order to stop the chaos, we are told that the two sides must come together and compromise, except the compromise always works in favor of the global entity who has pulled back, whether, again, it's the British crown or this liberal world order that has been backed by the United States for so long. 
The ostensible control is relinquished, but the influence remains and that influence is there to create chaos and they'll continue to create chaos until they get back into a situation they're comfortable with. And sometimes that means provoking a war. Because in order to end the war, the terms will be drawn up that allow the global order or the British crown or whoever to regain some amount of control. And eventually they get the election fraud apparatus back in place. People are told that everything has been fixed and they begin to detach again because it's a lot to have to follow politics all the time. Sure, it is your responsibility to your fellow citizens, but it's a lot. It's a lot of work to keep up on all of these issues. It's a big world. There's a lot of information. It's overwhelming. But people pull back and they let down their guard. And at that point, the encroachment begins again. And we will see an effort to make that happen in the United States in the coming years and maybe the coming decades after our moment of breaking these current shackles finally comes to pass. And it will come to pass. These things are inevitable. The full public exposure of things like election fraud is inevitable. And its inevitability is really coming to the forefront at this point. The media is freaking out today because Donald Trump retruthed a post on Truth Social where there is a picture of Trump with a cue on his lapel that says the storm is coming. And below that, WWG1WGA, which is where we go one, we go all. So that's two major Q phrases and an actual Q in this picture. And Donald Trump retruthed it. Now, why did he do that? Was he confused about what he was retruthing? Sure. Maybe he was confused. Is he trying to trick all his gullible supporters, all the Donald Trump cult members out there who are in a very, very serious cult and will do anything he says, except when it comes to taking the vaccine, which they won't do no matter how many times he says it. So strange. What a what an odd cult it is. Our cult is so much less committed to doing what our cult leader says than the people in the science cult who will do whatever they are told as long as they're told that science supports it. And yeah, they'll disavow friends and family members and try to destroy the lives of people who disagree with them. But they're not in a cult. They're just following the science. It's also entirely possible that Donald Trump is simply confirming some level of legitimacy to the whole Q thing, as he has done many times in the past, and people could understand that if they simply looked at all of it with open minds rather than dismissing it out of hand based on some story they read from the people who brought you, the second mask can add another layer of protection. There are people on, quote unquote, our side who have treated the Q information phenomenon that way from the beginning. They allowed their mostly uninformed view to become cemented in their minds, and they have ignored all of it ever since. They thought that was the smart thing to do because Q was too crazy. It was too stupid. Who could ever possibly believe this? And I've said many times, it doesn't actually matter if you believe it or not. It still exists. It's still information among other information. Either there is value in that information or there isn't. Either it maps onto reality or it doesn't. It either helps you derive meaning from events in the real world, which facilitates moral decision making and discernment, or it doesn't. And it just so happens that it does. So if it's too much for you to consider that Donald Trump is confirming the legitimacy of Q, he's at least directing attention toward it. I think that much is indisputable. And the communists will come up with some complicated and convoluted theory about how Donald Trump is actually tricking everyone. He needs his QAnon base to make sure to come out and vote in the election 
as if anyone who supports Trump isn't already going to do that. Or they'll spin it that Donald Trump needs his violent QAnon conspiracy theorist supporters to come out into the streets for the purpose of waging political violence against all of their opponents, the people who are out there stealing elections because they fell for the big lie and the big lie creates violence, violence like we saw at the very violent insurrection, except that's not what we saw there. And that message is now being disseminated in the mainstream media. Tucker Carlson last night did something really interesting. He began using the phrase election justice protest to describe the very violent insurrection. And that's a very interesting turn of phrase because we were told that the BLM Antifa riots in the aftermath of George Floyd. Oh, and. Breonna Taylor and Jacob Blake. Those were racial justice protests. And that's what made them okay, because all of those people were actually committed to racial justice. They weren't just burning down cities in service of society wide chaos to enact a political agenda to get Joe Biden, quote unquote, elected to push the defunding of police, to push the narrative that Donald Trump and Trump supporters were racist and represented white nationalists and white supremacists. They were actually out there working for racial justice. The phrase election justice protest is going to have some level of branding power. People will begin to reframe their view of the very violent insurrection to match this new understanding. This is the power of widely disseminated language and information. There is an evidentiary basis for calling the very violent insurrection an election justice protest, because that's exactly what it was. The election was stolen. There was overwhelming evidence of that fact over the two months prior to the very violent insurrection. And that is exactly what people were there to protest. The overwhelming majority of those people were peaceful. The overwhelming majority of those people didn't even realize that the very violent insurrection was happening because it was on the other side of the building. People who walked through the Capitol were staying between the velvet ropes They were taking selfies. They were interacting with police. They weren't trying to overthrow the government. And only insane people continue to believe that. Yet the story of the very violent insurrection is key to everything the communists are saying. That is the proof that there is political violence on the right and that saying elections are stolen is very, very dangerous. Without that underlying proof, the whole thing begins to fall apart as the ridiculous farce it is. That is significant narrative advancement. And it's great to see that Tucker Carlson is the one finally advancing that narrative. Now, I've said many times, maybe what Tucker is doing is orchestrated. We have to leave open that possibility. Maybe he didn't know that the election was stolen. Maybe he just never really looked into it. Maybe he didn't care enough. Maybe he was too concerned with maintaining his platform. He didn't want to get kicked off Fox News. And hey, maybe that's part of a larger plan. And if it is, congratulations, Tucker, on playing it so well. And there's at least some reason to believe that it is orchestrated in some sense. We can see major stories converging at the exact time that they'd be most effective. And by converging, I mean that these are all rising in the public understanding at the same time. And the effect will be that people who are open to any of it will have their minds blown on one thing, and that will make them more open to the next thing. And some of these crucial understandings that are involved in a society-wide awakening 
will begin to occur in quick succession. Think about Tucker Carlson's audience. Some people are very awake and Tucker is the only person they can tolerate on Fox News. And that's essentially where I am. But some people are committed to Fox News as a brand. They are more detached than people like us. Fox News is where they get their news. They watch Sean Hannity or Laura Ingram or Mark Levin. They're establishment normies. They have relatively comfortable lives and want to avoid chaos at all costs. That is their priority. They don't want to take a stand on anything because they know that taking a stand on anything that conflicts with the party of false decorum means that they fall down rung after rung, those rungs that they had worked their entire life to climb. They don't want to slip back. They're comfortable enough. They know their lives aren't really going to get better, but they don't want them to get worse. So they want to avoid confrontation. They want to avoid chaos. And a lot of these people know that something is seriously wrong. It's just not wrong enough for them to react in a way that will leave them with a less comfortable ride. They want to be comfortable. They want to be safe and secure. They don't want chaos. They don't want confrontation. And so they imagine that Fox News is fully on their side and that by watching Fox News, they keep themselves fully informed. They identify as Republicans, but are still kind of scared or put off by Donald Trump. They can't wait till Ron DeSantis is the guy. And they don't want to think about election fraud because thinking that American elections are stolen all the time. Well, that's very uncomfortable. That could create a world of chaos that they don't want to take part in. What do those people think? When the very violent insurrection they've been hearing about for the last 19 months as the greatest threat to American society is all of a sudden reframed by a person they trust as an election justice protest that has the capacity to significantly alter their understanding of events. But let's say this isn't as well orchestrated as it might be. Let's say that Tucker is generally doing the best he can, but Tucker has some sort of establishment normie thing going on in his brain. He cares about his platform. He doesn't want to say anything too controversial before he knows for sure that it's safe. Even if all of that is true, he would still be getting ahead of the rest of the mainstream media, and he would be the one out on the front edge, which is a very profitable place to be. If you're concerned about the biggest possible audience, then you will be just a couple of steps ahead of where the rest of your competition is. You don't need to run way ahead as we all choose to. You just need to be a little bit ahead. And then you're the guy that is revealing deeper truths about the world. But if that's the case, then you have to ask, what is Tucker getting ahead of? And the answer would be continued public exposure on a society wide scale of one of these deeper truths. In this case, that the very violent insurrection was not very violent in terms of the actions of Trump supporters. And it was not an insurrection and that will be proven to society at large. And then people will begin to think thoughts like, hey, why have people been trapped in D.C. prisons for a year and a half without trial? Why is the government preventing them from accessing exculpatory evidence that would immediately end their prison sentences? Once things are reframed, once it is safe for them to grapple with information from the real world in a way that it wasn't 19 months ago, well, then they can start deriving meaning from all this and understand that something unjust was done, that they were lied to continuously, that they were manipulated emotionally, they were manipulated in how they were able to see their own friends and family, the other people that are ostensibly looking out for very similar interests. 
But that's not the only thing that Tucker has been reframing. He's also reframing the validity of election fraud claims. And I would suspect he will continue to do that. And what would he be getting ahead of? Well, that would be society-wide understanding that the 2020 election was stolen. And not to go too far on a tangent, but Osage County in Oklahoma became the most recent county to reject the results of the 2020 election. This is the Osage County Republican Party, a resolution dated September 12th, 2022. Whereas Wayne Hill, chair of the Republican Party of Osage County, said the Osage County, Oklahoma Republicans have no faith in the reported outcome of the 2020 election. The elites tell us to ignore the inconsistencies, facts and proof. They want us to believe a fairy tale. We cannot look at a lie and call it truth in the name of peace. Peace is only possible when justice wins. The integrity of our elections must be the top priority going forward. We, the people, have a voice and must be heard. We refuse to go along with a false narrative. The American people should have administrations in place elected by the people. Be it resolved, the Osage County Republican Party of Oklahoma believes that the 2020 election violated Article 1 and 2 of the U.S. Constitution, that various secretaries of state illegally circumvented their state legislatures in conducting their elections in multiple ways, including but not limited to allowing mail-in ballots to be received after November 3rd, 2020, allowing election drop boxes and ballot harvesting. We believe that substantial election fraud in key metropolitan areas significantly affected the results in five or more key states in favor of former Vice President Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. We formally reject the certified results of the 2020 presidential election, and we hold that acting President Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. was not legitimately elected by the people of these United States. States that certified their electors based on fraudulent and or incomplete results must withdraw and decertify their electors. If those states do not decertify, their inability to govern their own elections not only compromises their election, but directly puts the entire republic at risk. We strongly urge all Republicans and patriots to work together to ensure election integrity and to vote in person on November of 2022 and in all future elections in order to overwhelm any possible fraud and to help take back our republic. Now, that's a very strong statement, and I understand it's only one county in Oklahoma and the GOP in that county. I know that this statement does not overturn the election. And that's the response that black-pilled people will have. Oh, nothing's going to be done. Well, all right. I guess if you say so. I mean, that stance is always the one relayed by the most informed people in the entire world. The same people who think there's absolutely no chance that the whole Q information phenomenon means anything. Oh, that's for stupid and crazy people to look at. They have already decided what their outlook is, and then they force reality to match that outlook. They ignore and remain uninformed about parts of reality that don't fit into their outlook, because that's a lot easier than shifting the outlook. And this applies to some very highly intelligent people on our side. It is easy to say nothing's happening when all the things that are happening are simply dismissed and we imagine that we are somehow in the same state of affairs we were in in January of 2021, but we are not. The only way to believe that is to have ignored every bit of evidence contradicting that position for the last 19 months and all we have gotten is evidence contradicting that position. It seems like people are waiting for permission to believe what is right in their faces. We don't actually have to wait until everyone agrees 
to say the things that we know are true and to argue forcefully for them and to feel confident about their truth. We don't need the television to tell us we're right. We don't need our communist neighbors to agree. We don't need all the blue anons on Twitter to finally give up and relent and say, yeah, you guys were right. That's not the standard of truth. And I think I've argued adequately and for long enough that the reason to have endured all this is that the alternative was civil war. If Donald Trump had tried to remain in power, that is what their plan was. And by there, I obviously mean the global communists. They were prepared for that scenario. They wanted that scenario. And strangely, there are people on our side who want that scenario, too, so that they can finally feel like heroes. But that is the greatest of all chaoses. But this slower progression to the same end, justice regarding the 2020 election and elections of the past, the removal of the machines, the change in our election systems, the reconfiguration of the public's image of itself as a majority America first country. That's how to get all of this done safely and effectively. That's how we can find a solution that the people will accept and believe and be willing to defend. And that full understanding is inevitable. It always has been inevitable, which is why People like me have continued to say that for two years. The information environment has shifted in a way that makes the full and complete understanding of these deeper truths inevitable. And I imagine that we will begin to see people like Tucker Carlson pushing a little more forcefully on these election fraud issues. And then other people at Fox News will begin filling in behind that. And eventually... The communists on CNN and MSNBC at the New York Times and the Washington Post and the Atlantic, they're going to have to accept that all of their articles about the big lie and the thousands of times they've written baseless claims, no evidence, election denier. We're all for nothing. No one actually bought it. No one actually believed it. The entire time their audience was shrinking and they know that, but they kept going anyway. Once the outcome is inevitable, all of these very clever journalists and influencers and show hosts who have ignored all of these issues for the last 19 months, they're going to have to start getting ahead of the society-wide understanding so that they can keep their position in people's minds, their reputational position. But the full understanding of these deeper truths is coming and just wait until Tucker Carlson, I imagine, begins talking about Q a little more often. What will happen then? It's funny that all of the people who have dismissed it for so long are still going to have to contend with that possibility, a possibility that they have not contended with at all. They wrote it off. They assumed there's absolutely no way. And then they ignored it. What does it mean to be part of their audience? Someone who has trusted them for all of this time, even though they have ignored and dismissed some of the most important issues in the entire world for the last 19 months. Ben Shapiro is going to have to start selling ceramic mugs of his own tears. And speaking of all these waffling centrist Republicans, these very serious intellectuals and establishment types. A couple of weeks ago, they were telling us all that Republicans were going to blow it in the midterms. Joe Biden had a string of important successes and momentum was building on that side. The red wave was going to become a red puddle. People were rejecting Donald Trump's influence and the MAGA Republicans. They had just gone too far and no one was going to support that. Well, where is all of that going? This is from Tip Insights yesterday. By two to one, voters call Biden MAGA remarks divisive. 
President Biden's recent comments about Trump supporters espousing semi-fascism and accusing the former president's followers of representing, quote, an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic, shocked many Americans. Now, despite White House denials of ill intent, a majority of voters call Biden's remarks divisive. September's INI slash TIPP poll shows during his campaign for the presidency and even in his inauguration speech in 2021, President Biden vowed to unify the country after years of often bitter political division. Voters warmed to the idea that Biden could bring Americans together after years of angry ideological debates, polls showed. But the latest INI tip poll shows Americans no longer believe that Biden is a uniter, but a divider. The online poll of 1,277 adults taken from September 7th to 9th showed that 62% of Americans believed Biden's comments about Trump and his MAGA followers increases division in the country. Just 29% disagreed. The poll's margin of error is plus or minus 2.8 percentage points. Perhaps surprisingly, Democrats at 73% were more likely to say that Biden's MAGA comments increased division than either Republicans or independents. Blacks and Hispanics exceeded white respondents in seeing the comments as divisive. The poll also asked if Biden's comments endanger Americans' First Amendment rights to free speech and free assembly. Once more, by 55% to 34%, Americans agreed. Finally, in order to discern whether Americans felt Biden's remarks were out of bounds for the office of the White House, voters were asked whether the remarks were, quote, an uncouth and politically biased use of the office of president. Again, 58 percent agreed versus 30 percent who disagreed. That Biden speech was essentially one of the big campaign moments for Democrats going into the midterms. That's what the fall campaign is going to be about, how dangerous Donald Trump and Trump supporters are, because if the public accepts that, then the public will accept the way the regime plans to treat Donald Trump and Trump supporters. They will try to indict him. I didn't think it was going to be possible because they had failed so badly on the very violent insurrection narrative, but it looks like they're dead set on figuring out a way now. If and when that moment comes, it's going to be ridiculous and it'll backfire in their faces immediately, just like the Mar-a-Lago raid did. But they need it to prove their thesis, their main case to voters about how dangerous Donald Trump and his supporters are. And it will show their child-brained communist supporters that they mean business in tackling this threat. This is all these people have read about on Twitter for seven years. Donald Trump is dangerous. Donald Trump is racist. His supporters are conspiracy theorists. They're violent. They're going to ruin everything. Donald Trump colluded with Russia. Donald Trump tried to get the comedic actor in Ukraine to undermine Joe Biden's presidential campaign. Donald Trump planned and then staged a very violent insurrection. Donald Trump tells the big lie. The walls are closing in. The silver bullet is right here. And it all can be yours. Finally, the bad orange man will be brought to justice and we'll see how dangerous his supporters are. And finally, everything we've believed and done and said and lied about will be justified. It'll all have been worth it. The whole thing will have been worth it because we're saving America from a duly elected president. That is the major case that the illegitimate regime is making to their voters. But what's the other issue that they're saying can drive massive Democrat turnout enough to change that red wave into a red puddle. Well, that's abortion. They're broadcasting this story far and wide, so far and so wide that even Republicans believe it. But it's nonsense. This is from Real Clear Politics today. Biden and allies betting voters like abortion as much as they do. No matter who does abortion polling, it's clear that the Democratic Party platform and their agenda of abortion through all nine months for any reason at all, and with taxpayer funding, is a loser with most Americans. 
given all the recent stories claiming that Democrats are rising in the polls because of their support for abortion. A fact check is needed. The math contradicts today's popular narrative because Americans don't want the radical abortion agenda pushed by Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. Case in point, a Harvard Harris poll in June of this year found that not only did voters have tremendous concerns about the economy, Biden's overall performance and mental health and runaway inflation, only 10 percent supported allowing abortion through all nine months, which mirrors other findings. An NPR PBS NewsHour Marist poll in May found that almost seven in 10 Americans support limits on abortion. NPR and PBS, by the way, it should be noted, are U.S. government propaganda outlets. They are state media and they are funding push polls with taxpayer money to tell Americans what Americans think about abortion. They are skewing public perception with these polls. People have their own opinions. Why do they need to have polling statistics on what other Americans think about abortion? Well, it's because if you're a centrist, if you're a normie, if you're someone who is ignorant to almost everything, it is extremely important for you to know that your position on any issue represents the majority opinion because you're not brave enough or independent thinking enough to object to majority opinion, especially on divisive moral and cultural issues. Maybe that's why the deceptively named Women's Health Protection Act failed repeatedly in Congress as it went even further than Roe in demanding limitless abortions and an end to the conscience rights of anyone who didn't want to participate. Maybe that's why the popular President Obama did not do more while he was in office. It's interesting that when GOP senators Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski tried to get an abortion bill compromise, their efforts were met with derision by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. We are not going to negotiate a woman's right to choose, she told reporters. Choose what exactly? Even President Biden can't seem to make himself advocate for abortion directly as he demands more of that which cannot be named. It's noteworthy that while Planned Parenthood President Alexis McGill Johnson proclaims that abortion is actually going to save democracy, politicians like Ohio Democrat Tim Ryan are stunned into silence when pressed on what, if any, abortion restrictions he might support. Maybe he's read the polling yet doesn't want to contradict a cacophony of abortion lovers bound to clutter up his social media if he doesn't toe the line. Maybe he's heard from voters in his state. Earlier this year, Students for Life's Demetri Institute for Pro-Life Advancement, an organization that regularly polls what is now one third of the electorate, millennials and Gen Z, found that an astonishing eight in 10 wanted to vote on abortion policy in their states, up from 66% last year. And three out of four millennials wanted limits on abortion. Asked about Roe's radical reach to all nine months, almost six in 10 rejected it. And it's worth mentioning that millennials and Gen Z are the people primarily affected by the issue. Some late generation X women might still be thinking about becoming pregnant, but that's not a big number. This is primarily a millennial and Gen Z issue when it comes to the arguments made in favor of abortion. The people whose right it would be in their framing to choose are millennials and Gen Z. And we are always told that young people support everything in the global communist agenda. But that's just not true. It's just not true. No matter how often the culture attempts to convince everyone otherwise. And the article goes on. It's well done and worth reading if you are following that issue in particular. But the point is that this is one of the Democrats strongest arguments for why they might have a chance to be successful in the midterms. But the entire basis for that argument is only true within the false reality. It's not true in real life. There has been no great revolt in the aftermath of the Dobbs decision. 
They tried to get their communists out into the streets to create chaos and no one showed up. So they call us Nazis while looking exactly like Nazis and talking exactly like Nazis. And that fails. No one buys it. They tell us that there's going to be a huge rally over abortion. People are going to just come in droves to the polls. And by that, I mean, submit fake mail-in ballots to support abortion rights. But that's not true either. So what's their case? Where is the Jomentum? Democrat candidates are afraid to debate. Katie Hobbs seems like she is going to really avoid debating Carrie Lake. John Fetterman in Pennsylvania is trying to avoid Dr. Oz, and he is using the fact that he had a stroke and can't think or speak straight as the justification for that. He's telling voters he should get a free pass based on his inability to successfully debate. But don't worry, once he's in office, everything's going to be just fine, except it probably wouldn't be fine. And they would steal the election for Fetterman and for Josh Shapiro, the current Pennsylvania attorney general, who would become governor in Pennsylvania. And then he would get to select Fetterman's replacement. How convenient. Democrat Patty Murray is trying to defend her Senate seat in Washington state, and she is trying to avoid debating as well. Where is the Momentum? We even have cable news communist and blog writer Joan Walsh writing in The Nation about whether or not Stacey Abrams can turn the tide in Georgia. The subheadline is, despite years of laying the groundwork, she's trailing in the gubernatorial election. Will Georgia's discouraged voters rise again to lift the nation? And who is she talking about there? Who are the discouraged voters in Georgia? Are they black voters, black Democrats whose votes will be stolen with the Stacey Abrams election apparatus propped up in Georgia? Despite years of laying the groundwork, what is that groundwork? What groundwork did Stacey Abrams lay? What groundwork was she laying before the election she lost in 2018? The one that she has continued to say to this day was stolen. Stacey Abrams is the star of the Democrat Party. We were told that Georgia was a blue state. There was a great Democrat wave. Oh, it was people moving there from California, bringing in their new progressive values in such numbers that it could change a staunch Republican stronghold like Georgia into a purple state and now a blue state. And Stacey Abrams was the force behind that. So why is she trailing with all the momentum, all of the Democrat successes, all of the great things they've done for the economy, all of the jobs, they've gotten inflation under control and they've brought down gas prices. So now they're only 50% higher than when they started rather than 150% higher. So all of this for them is collapsing. What do they have left? The only chance they have left is to create some dramatic moment that people can really feel is affecting their lives. They need to attempt at least to pull things off on a grand scale. And the most likely event that they seem potentially capable of pulling off is an indictment of Donald Trump. If they announce an, an indictment of Donald Trump, you can expect that Donald Trump will surrender himself and allow the process to play out and the boomerang to fly all the way out before it turns around and smacks them all directly in the face. And while that boomerang is out there flying, they will try to create chaos in the streets, chaos throughout society. They will try to double down and triple down on Joe Biden's red sermon, as it's now being called. And they believe that all of that will set up the potential 
for the country to once again broadly accept the results of a fraudulent election. This is all they have left. This is what the playbook calls for. And there's only one playbook. They've been running it for decades, but in truth, they've probably been running it for centuries. And we can watch this playbook and this process play out in countries all across the world with different variables and different responses and different results. But the important thing is that we understand what it really is. You can erase that doubt. This is who these people are. This is what they do. And when the people know this and the people understand this, they can respond in rational ways. And that's important because responding rationally is not only the best strategy for achieving the best possible outcome. It is also the exact opposite of how they want us to respond. Understanding the playbook and understanding how these situations have progressed throughout history, understanding the reflection of this playbook throughout the world in the present is what allows us to understand what the future will be in relation to that playbook. And in the background of all of this, the narrative framing is shifting. The very violent insurrection becomes an election justice protest. And Donald Trump is flirting with or confirming the legitimacy of Q with a post that says the storm is coming. The awakening only moves in one direction and the information only moves in one direction. We just need to have our eyes open to see it. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. It only flows one way. And in a very real sense, the public exposure of these deeper truths has been inevitable for a long time. And that's what it means to say nothing can stop what is coming. You don't need to believe in Q at all to understand that's true. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.CancelCouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!